Welcome to Impact and Freedom with your host, Jason Feldman. All right. Welcome to Impact and Freedom. I'm Jason Feldman, and today we have an incredibly exciting guest, Lord Adam Quinney. Did I pronounce that correct? Quinney. It rhymes whiny. with whiny. Dang yeah, it. you got to have a, a whiny sounding last name if you're going to be a lord. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's the one question I didn't ask before. <laughs> um, Adam is an executive leadership coach specializing in working with the smartest people in the room, um, which I don't know, then I don't know why he's here um, <laughs> because he's in the wrong room. And he's a former software developer and attorney, author of the book, Who Do You Think You Are? I love it. And podcast, The Transformational Leader. Welcome, Lord Adam. Thanks, Jason. It's good to be here, man. Dude, I, and I, I want to, let's dive into the, um, real quick on how you got that name. Uh, the Lord? Yes. Right. So we were talking about this before we even started recording. Yeah. Um, so my, when I went to my undergraduate degree at my university here, the local university, University of Victoria, they, this was in the early, early days of the internet. And uh, you signed up for an email address and you got to ask for whatever you want. And everyone did uh, first initial last name, which was super boring to me. And my dad, who I was sharing with you as a Brit, was like, don't get something asinine. People like me will just, they'll decline to hire you as a result. And I was like, that sounds boring. So I put Lord Adam. I was like, that's, that's sweet. Being a Lord is awesome. A king is like too high up, but a Lord, I can roll with that. And so, uh, so that would always be what I'd lead with on my resume and people loved it. People were always like, who's this guy? I want to know. And there was always a story and we'd always have some conversation about it. And people were like, that's cool. What a great email address. So, <laughs> so I've just rolled with it ever since. <laughs> so good. So, uh -huh. so I'd love to hear, um, usually coaches have some great background story on how they became a coach. I know a lot of us have some, some pain that we're going through and, mm. Usually we're helping our former self and that's how we yes. get into that role. Um, but I would love to hear your origin story. So I came about doing what I do through mostly arrogance. <laughs> so like, yeah, the Lord. yes, totally. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> People are like, this guy's totally on brand. Yeah. So um, I'll try to uh, make it somewhat brief, but I'm talking about my favorite person in the world. So I, if I get verbose, you interrupt me, Jason. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so initially, I was a, my first career was a software developer, and then I became a project manager. And this, the I guess we could call it like the shape of my life at this point. I, I took me seven years to graduate. I was slow to, to find what I wanted to do. And then for about five years, I was working in software. And towards the end of that time, I'd, I'd gotten really good at basically managing life, not just my work, but my whole life. And so the way that looked at, at my career was I had all the variables handled and there was no new stuff that was, there's nothing like unknown that was going to come in. So I could get most of the work I had done in about three hours. And then I would just screw around for the remaining time. I would get stoned at work. I would like surreptitiously do that. You know, I put visor into my eyes and then, cause I'm kind of driven, I would work on a whole bunch of side projects and like, I had a little rear view mirror on my monitor so I could see if anyone was walking and quickly alt tab out. It was just like, not good. And like, it's kind of a funny story now, but at the time I was simultaneously like 
I was doing that thing I think a lot of us do, which was I knew I was doing something wrong, so to speak, or like out of integrity. But then I was also, because I knew that, I was also justifying why I was doing it. Mm. So like, oh, I'm doing this because they're not giving me enough responsibility and they don't appreciate what I have to bring. So there's no other choice. So I have to keep my blah, 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 blah. You know, it's all very internally consistent, I guess. Mm. So I left that. To, to go pursue a career in law because I figured I don't think just shifting to a new job is going to make a difference. I think maybe a new career altogether. And, um, and law was like super interesting to study, but uh, boring in practice, like very tedious, you know, it's a lot of perfectionism um, and like often a lot of just rereading something you've written for the fifth time to make sure you didn't miss a, an apostrophe, which sounds ridiculous, but the reasoning is if if you miss an apostrophe and then the judge is reading your brief, they're going to sort of in their mind think, this guy didn't even catch this apostrophe that's missing. How can I rely that he didn't catch a mistake in his argument? Right. So there's a real perfectionistic kind of approach, super tedious, that part. And I couldn't find lawyers that really loved what they did. I kept finding lawyers and attorneys who could articulate to me in like exquisite detail why they ought to like their job. <laughs> right which is not at all the same thing. And so I'd ask them, um, you know, do you, do you love what you do? And they go, well, here's the thing, Adam. And I'd be like, great, <laughs> failed the question. <laughs> yeah, totally. I don't want to know the thing. I yeah. want you to be like, yes, it's amazing. I love my job. So Crazy. yeah, yeah. And, and, and the, the third component here was that I was really good at it. And the, the way I didn't have these words back then, but the way I'd learned to show up in my life to stay safe and to keep my fears at bay, which we all kind of do, we can get into that a little more later, was really well suited to the practice of law. So I was very already very perfectionistic. I was kind of like really working to present this perfect polished image and like, let me help you. Don't ask me about my life. It's all fine and good. Never mind the fact that I'd, you know, come home from a night practicing law and then like scrounge around on my deck in an ashtray for a roach I could smoke so I could get high so I could, you know, feel something. Anyhow, let me help you. <laughs> let me help you out. So <clears throat> this was the point where I started to look into coaching as a career. Accidentally, I'd started a, a I'd co-founded a startup at this point that was sort of fledgling and I was looking for other careers because I knew I didn't want to go back to law once I graduated. And I also knew I didn't want to work in software anymore. And so I, I worked with a coach I, who I met and just went for lunch with and, and started talking to him about the profession. It sounded awesome. And then took the training he'd taken, worked with him, started to work pro bono with a few people. And it was all fine and good. And it was boring. Mm -hmm. And I felt like a personal project manager in people's lives. And I had a little bit of like resentment about that because I didn't need that. I was hyper-organized. And so I felt kind of like there's like a power imbalance, you know, mm. I'm helping them with something I don't require help with. And so it left me feeling better, superior than these people. You can mm. see the, the themes of arrogance woven throughout this whole. <laughs> so I, was kind of like, man, maybe this isn't the profession. Maybe this is just like snake oil, you know, just positive affirmations and like the memes you see everywhere. Maybe there's actually nothing to this. I thought this was going to cure my boredom. I'm more bored than ever. And so as one last kind of kick of the can, and this is really where things start to shift for me, 
I reached out to a woman that I'd known from my squash club, who was like the president of our local coaching chapter and told her like, Hey, this is what's going on. And I don't really know what to do. And I'm pretty sure this isn't for me, but I thought I'd reach out to you and see if you, you know, have anything for me. And she said, totally makes sense. She affirmed most of what I felt about the coaching profession, as opposed to like, try to explain it or apologize for it or anything. She was like, yeah, most of it is pretty watered down, non-trained people that are just, you know, giving advice. Mm. And she invited me to take this program that she was one of the leaders of that was in, I live in Victoria and it was in Seattle. So it was about a day's travel there and back each day uh, for me. And I'm going to cut sort of to the end of this rather than go through all the details. But it was like a huge, crazy decision that made no sense to choose into this program. Intellectually, it made no sense. It was $30,000. I was six figures in debt from my degree and my wife's degree. I was already in law school. What kind of loony adds on top of the heavy workload of law school? You know, just didn't make any sense. Coaching felt all weird and woo-woo. I was already down the path to like, way to go, dad. You raised a son who's a doctor and a son who's a lawyer. Like, you know, all of that stuff made intellectual yeah. sense. But viscerally, what this woman kept putting in front of me made so much sense. And I, I chose in eventually. And here's the, the shifting point is on this first weekend of what'll be a year long program, 12 weekends. And I'm working with a coach every week that they provide and all that stuff. They start us off and they say, we're going to introduce you to the front of the room, each of you in a bit of a unique way. We're going to point to your highest and greatest self. And we're going to point to the version of you that you've learned to create to kind of mitigate with the world to protect yourself. So the version of you that you've created to like be seen or to be hidden or to be liked or to be disliked because that's more comfortable or whatever. And I'm like, whatever. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> sure, we'll see. And uh, so I go second because I know the first person that goes gets shot in the head by the sniper. So you want to like strategize, you know, get the lay of the land. And so I go second, sort of like, all right, I've got a sense of how this goes. They asked me to talk about myself and I talked for about five minutes and then they say, may we work with you? And my thought, Jason, is sure, what could be left? You know, like I've been reading personal development books since I was 13, Tony Robbins, I'm a freaking lawyer, I've worked with a coach, I've been trained as a coach, have at it because I don't know that, you know, I'm, I'm open for little nuggets that you might have. And what they tell me is they say, Adam, the package looks great. You're charming, handsome, witty, well-educated, well-dressed, blah, 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 blah. Um, you're like a brand new iPhone and it's shiny and we want to play with you. And while we do, it's novel and entertaining. But then we sit you down and we have a beer with our friends because we can relate with those people. Mm. And you, Adam, are like this gleaming polished suit of armor. It's, it's perfect. And there's absolutely no way in. Currently, you've got no capacity for vulnerability, no capacity for authenticity, zero capacity for intimacy. And... I'm like, it's like they've just hauled off and punched me between the eyes. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> my whole world explodes into dust. And it feels in this moment, like for the first time in 33 years or 30 years, I'm seeing the thing I've been tripping over all my life. You know, like every relationship I've ever had, romantic, intimacy is the reason it would fail. The sex would fall away and then there'd be no emotional intimacy, all of that. All I have all of these acquaintances and very few real friends. And even with myself, I don't have intimacy with myself. I think about what I feel rather than actually feeling it. So all of that's running through my head. 
But I, of course, am not letting on to this fact. I'm very stoic and I'm like, huh, interesting. What an interesting point you're making. Tell me more. I'm, I'm working so hard not to let them see the impact, which is hilarious because that's what they're pointing to. Yeah, so I'm like, and you're still on that top layer. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't, I can't, we can't stop ourselves, right? Yeah. So they say two more things and then I'll stop talking. Um, the first thing they say is they say, Adam, you don't need any support from us to be an amazing attorney. This is a custom set of skills. You, no one could want more than this. You know, you scan yourself for your flaws so you can address them on your own terms or before anyone else does. Scan other people for their flaws so you can punch them there or use it to manipulate them, hold them in line. Use your wit and your intellect to kind of control and manipulate the conversation so that it doesn't even have any risk of getting into vulnerable territory. So even if you read Brene Brown and got inspired and then tried to practice being vulnerable, you're going to be doing it in a safe, invulnerable space. Like you, you cut that off. And finally, you let people think they're getting in with you, but you're actually keeping them at arm's length. Amazing attorney mm -hmm. skills, top notch. Um, but really, really crappy skills for a relationship. Right. And I'm like, Frig. They're like, and if you want to do this work, what this is about is being able to create really powerful relationship with people. And so absent that, if you want to impact people the way you say you do, you have to let them impact you. And that's just unavailable. So that's ringing in my ears. And then they say the last thing that really gets me, which is they say, um, you can leave today. You don't have to stick around for this whole year. We'll give you everything but your deposit back. And if you do that, the good news is you'll still be a leader. I'm like, sweet. All right. Finally, some good news. I'm good. I'll leave now. And they say, however, or they say, you know, the, the set of traits you bring into the space, the sound of your voice, the way you look, the, the energy you bring, it's innate. You look to step into leadership and we look to you for that, but you will forever be a leader of followers because those are the people around which this will be sufficient and they're not going to call you forward or demand more from you. And that blew my mind. I was like a leader of followers. I never even thought of that as a thing. And the last thing they tell me is um, if you're willing to do the work to let us in, like we'll work with you. You've got 50 years of coaching expert expertise and a team and a coach and everything, but you're too slick. You can let us think we're getting in and slide us out. If you're willing to do the work to let us in, you're on this planet to be a leader of leaders. And so last thing I'll share is I, I, uh, I, I witnessed 12 other people go through this process. Two of them choose out because it's stark. It's hard to look at this and see ourselves this way, especially at the very start. You know, normally this is at the very end, right at the start. And then I drive home from Seattle up to Vancouver where I'm staying, which is about a four hour drive ish. And I cry for four hours. And uh, it's not because I'm sad. It's because I've been opened for the first time in like 30 years of my life. Amazing border crossing experience. <laughs> border crossing patrol like you are right now i'm fine i'm doing really good <laughs> and uh and that began this journey that was how it really started i'd taken coach training before but it was all atop of the surface this was the moment where things first kind of got real for me that is super cool story and uh, yeah I mean, um there's so much to unpack there but i i would like one thing that popped up in my mind because we're right around the same age is yeah. you think it might be our age like we're kind of on the cusp of where I feel like people are very open, like the younger generation, very open. They can go on the internet. They can like connect with people. It, it, it's like they're so used to having the glass walls, right? Mm. But when we were brought up, it was all closed walls. Like you couldn't see. So you kind of had to act a certain way when you went in for the interview. And so now it's like taking 
kind of the way we grew up and and now in this new world it's like it's almost awkward to like expose ourselves and it's almost like totally the opposite of what we were taught growing up in school i mean do you kind of resonate with that it's like that yeah to, to an extent like i would say every generation has its sort of uh uh mores i guess norms you know it's it's vibe but then at the same time I would say it's it's just human nature for us to begin as this beautiful being of light and then to learn some parts of ourselves aren't okay and yeah. then to learn to create armor around it. So your example, like um, one of the things that I notice in, in some younger generations, not everyone, because of course everyone's unique, but like a, a, a theme would be I'm super open but I don't want you to react to me in any way that might create some closure for myself. So the, the game is kind of like authenticity, but not your authenticity about my authenticity. Just mm. accept me as I am. And it's like, oh, that's the new edge. That's the edge for that sort of person is like, can you be open and allow other people to be fully open and not make it mean anything or, you know, whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Then it goes back to when we were young, we'd, you know, call each other names and, yeah, derogatory terms that nowadays, if you said it would just floor people. Our movies have not aged well, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> but part of that, like, so there's part of that, and this is an interesting topic. <laughs> yeah. But um, part of that I think is good. And I know that's probably against uh, popular culture now, but like, dude, when we used to like play and call each other names and hit each other, I mean, that was just like, it was just normal. Like it was okay. You, you know, especially yeah. for, for men, men felt it was okay to like, I mean, I have two little boys and they wrestle and punch each other and hurt each other. And two seconds later, totally cool. Like, mm. It's just, there's almost an endearment when it comes to, uh, two male figures that can kind of make fun of each other. And then, you know, like I don't make fun of somebody I don't know, but like my close friends. Yeah. We razz each other, you know? Sure. Yeah. Busting of balls. Yeah. Yeah. Got to do it. Uh -huh. Got to do it. That's the only way that, you know, otherwise to your point, you're on that surface level and you don't like, that's the beneath that, you know, unite people. Together, uh -huh. being yeah. Comfortable. But the one thing I will say is like, for as much as there's sort of like, for for anything we can find the counterpart right so people are like you know kids should play in dirt and then it's like but at the same time gas stoves are responsible for like 40 percent of kids with asthma i don't know what the facts are but like you know that sort of vibe yeah and what i would my experience of humans is none of us make it out of childhood unscathed like right. you can have the best parents in the world and then you come out of childhood and you're like this raw naked child you're so sensitive because your parents right. have been so kind or you can have rough parents and you come out and you're rough and it's hard to so there's no matter what our upbringing was there's always work to be done which is to say there's always work to like learn how to let go of the armor that we've learned to build so we can be mm. at choice with it as opposed to automatic with it 100 percent. Mm -hmm. yeah and it's and it's always internal it's never like we always yes. think it's everybody else but it's like yeah Nobody I mean, cares. it is for me, it's everyone else, but for everyone else, it's them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's interesting because like nobody actually cares about other, like they're really worried about themselves. And stuff. Yes. Yeah. So crazy. So man, speaking of balls, like when do you have the balls to like, dude, you're, you're a developer one second, you're mm. a lawyer, and now you're going into coaching. 
I mean, that takes some cojones. At no point have I felt like a man particularly courageous. Like, um, I would say like most of how I got jobs and stuff growing up was I was so scared of rejection. That was part of what I learned was to like really be afraid of rejection that I would, I would like end up in a, sh a crappy job just because a friend could recommend or it was available. I, and I like, I left computer science because I was fed up and I knew I was smart. Like that part I knew about myself. So law kind of made sense. But then once I found out, you as a lawyer have to find your own clients. You can join a firm, but for the most part, if you're going to work, you got to go out and rain make, as they say, you got to go and meet people and network. And I was like, oh man, I am horrible at that. This is what I believed about myself at the time. Turns yeah. out who I am is just a natural source of connection, but who I'd learned to become was an int like introverted or how that's how I showed up. I'd have more fun playing with Magic the Gathering and hanging out by myself and enjoying that sort of stuff. So moving from law to coaching was a little easier for me because I started this training. I didn't really know what would be required of me. And if you had told me you're going to have to create clients, I probably would have left before I'd even started. But once I was in that path, I was kind of like, it's almost like spirit orchestrated for it for me because I was like, well, I can't either. I'm going to have to find and create clients as a coach or as a lawyer. And I'd rather do it as a coach because this seems way more, once I got into it, I was like, this is way more interesting and fun than that mm -hmm. thing. And so thank goodness for that. Because if, if it had been like, oh, you can be an attorney and you don't have to, uh, I don't know, go out and seek clients, it probably would have been a much harder choice for me. So the fact that like my options were limited made it easier for me to be like, okay, I got no choice but to do this. And then of course, in addition to that, I had a whole structure of support, right? I had a coach I was working with every week. I had this massive, incredible training program and all of the support they provided me to help me cross those lines. Yeah. So post, so you're, you're now coach. One of my favorite topics is sales and marketing and, and mm. business. So like yeah. you're, you're out there, you're now in your new, um, your new role as a coach, zero clients. Yeah. What are you doing? So the, well, let's talk about what most coaches do first. Cause I think that's kind of interesting, okay, yeah. which is everything possible other than trying to create clients. So get certification. Certification is a great thing, but they put that as like, they're afraid. It's scary to put yourself out there and ask for clients. And it's even scarier as a coach. Cause people aren't rejecting the widget you made. They're rejecting you. So it's edgy. And so what, a lot of coaches do is, well, once I have my certification or once I graduate or once I dye my hair green or whatever, right? There's just once I have my website, once I have my email and the program I took was like, that's nonsense. That's in the way because what, what helps you learn to create clients is practicing creating clients. So here's what you need to do. And they kept it really simple. They're like, just go and start talking to people, get curious about what they're interested in in life and then offer them a conversation and offer it in a way that is like something they can say yes or no to. So what a lot of coaches will do is like, well, if you'd ever like a conversation, they're like walking out the door and they're like, if you'd ever like a conversation with me sometime, maybe we'll see you later. Yeah. Instead of like, would you like a conversation with me about that? Yes or no. Right. That might be a bit rough the way I've phrased it, but like there's a power in putting people at choice. And that's what we do as coaches is help people be a choice in their life. So we model it. So 
with that support, I I got out there and I would go to networking events. I, I kept emailing people that I went to while I was still in law school, like, hey, you know, we're coming up on graduation. I'm doing this new thing. Are you interested in a coaching conversation? I just email them because that was easier to face the rejection if they said no. And from doing that and going to networking events and emailing people after I got their card, people would eventually say yes. Like I wouldn't hassle them, but you know, some people would say yes. And that began the process by which I was kind of doing the blue collar work of coaching, which is going, getting into like meeting people and then inviting them into a conversation. Love it. And yeah. it's so true. I mean, all sales and marketing is whittling down, taking a bunch of people. It's the funnel, right? Bunch of leads to less leads to more, you know, finding the the hand raisers. What um what were some of the big needle movers at that point in your business that really started shifting like, oh, okay, like starting to make some cash here? Mm, I love that that distinction you created there, a needle mover. So um well the first was charging like a uh what what I might call like a strong rate which at the time wasn't a lot but you know a lot of coaches when they start out were were all scared I was terrified and so I was charging $20 a month or $20 a session like just nothing peanuts mm -hmm. and um because we were we don't want to be rejected and because we're like making the coaching about ourselves which is the worst thing you can do as a coach because the coaching is about that person and the the money we charge someone is really a proxy for their commitment to their own lives. That's, that's a really important shift that a lot of coaches don't get. So the school I was at, they said in the first month, they're like, first of all, most coach training is not very good. You're already more highly trained, we assert, than most of the coaches in the profession. So start inviting people to work with you and start charging $500 a month for three months at a time, three month minimum. So it's not a crazy amount of money, but it's a good amount of money because most of us here in the West can afford $1,500 if we really want something. Like if, right. if, we, if I told you I was selling $100 bills for $80, you could find $1,500 to, to invest with me, right? 100%. So it, right. it has an, it's low enough, but it's high enough that it forces the coach to confront their concerns like, ah, $500 a month. How am I worth it? Like it, it, it pushes us over the edge of our fear a little bit. So that was the so first needle mover. Yeah, go ahead. Peel the, I want to peel the onion on that. I want to, I want to get to the, to the deeper uh, of that. So mm -hmm. you were charging $20 a month in your offer. That, yeah. That's a long way from. $500 with a three month commitment. So yeah. what internally was going on? Like, what did you have to do to be yeah. okay with that? Uh, well, a couple of things. So the first is I was like, I had a little bit of surrender. They were like, do this. I was like, okay, I'm just going to do that. In part because I was resentful of people for giving them like an hour of my time for, for so little for free or $20. Second, um, when you work at those low, low, low rates, it's a really easy recipe for burnout and resentment and frustration. So that was there too. I was like, this isn't working. So that made it easier to shift. Mm. And then the other thing that had to happen was I had a undistinguished an unconscious belief, a belief nonetheless, that dictated a lot of my actions that people weren't going to, people weren't interested in this and people weren't willing to pay for it. And so yeah even though I was willing to like ask for that money, 
who I was being underneath was, but this isn't really worth it and you're not really going to pay for it. And so that energy would come across on some level and, and people, even if I asked them would say no. Yeah. So yeah, I had, go ahead, you. Yeah. It, it, it's so funny. The, the resentment part, there are, you know, with the amount of businesses that go out of business because they're not profitable is beyond insane. Yes. And it's crazy how many business owners resent their business and it's not them. It's not their business. Their business is fine. Their offer sucks and it's not serving the other person and it's not serving them. So who's it serving? So they create a, a prison for themselves. Um, and that, that whole belief factor is, is such a huge thing. Um, so yeah. So with the, with your offer, you start shifting. What was the point in time where you're like, holy crap, this like works. How'd you realize? That? So, um, the first client I ever got, I, I was just making these calls, asking people for, um, like, are you interested in this, serving them? And then do you want more of this? This is what it costs. And um, the first client I got, he, he, I said, sit with it for a week. Let me know. He called. I screened the call because I couldn't bear to like have him say no on the phone. And they left a message on my answering machine back in the day. And he was like, I'm ready to start. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe that this has like legs. That If, if one person hired me, maybe two will. So there's a a bit of a different shift I'd love to share with you if that would be all right. Yeah. It's a little tangential to your question, which is this started, I started to get higher at this rate. And then I started to like raise my rates bit by bit, $600, $750, $900. So I was charging $900. And I went away to an event that left me quite inspired. And I came home and I was like, I'm going to more or less double my rates. So I raised them to 1500, not a total double, but like there's a difference for me psychologically from going to 1500 rather than a thousand, you know, it was a bit of a leap and suddenly everyone started saying no. And I got, I was super frustrated and I was bringing this to my coach. I'm like, I don't know what's going wrong and it's annoying. And what with her support, we started to look at this and what I could see was up until this point, what had happened was I'd get on the call with someone and I'd coach them really brilliantly. And the experience they'd be left in was, I don't really know what I'm going to get from this work, but that guy's really smart and he seems really good at this. So I'm willing to make the bet, you know, for three months, I'll invest $900. I'm up for that. But now I, I almost doubled that and people were no longer willing to make that bet. They're like, I don't know what I'm going to get for 4,500 bucks. That's not cheap. And so the, the thing that I had to create at this point in my career as a coach was really kind of reworking everything from the ground up, relearning a, a fundamental skill, which we'd call enrollment and possibility. And so for about, I think it was like four months with the support of my coach, all I was doing when I get on the phone with people would be to ask them, what do you want in your life? And they'd be like, I don't know. I want to feel more peaceful. And I'd be like, great. Like, give me an example in your life where you would experience more peace. What would you like that to be like? Uh, maybe at work. What would we see different? So I'm just asking questions I'm not solving anything. I'm not coaching anything. I'm just asking questions that open the doors to possibility in their life. Does that make sense? So I've worded that. Mm, yeah. I hated it because <laughs> what made me feel safe was being really brilliant as a coach. And I was letting go of that. And I was like, I'm not helping them. I'm not supporting. I'm not moving the needle for them. But instead, these people were starting to get a sense of like what could happen in their life with this kind of support.
Mm. And at the, the last time I was practicing this, sort of at the end of these four months, I was on a, in a conversation with a woman from halfway across the country. I just connected with on Facebook. We were just having that kind of conversation. And at the end, she said, so can I hire you to like support me with that? And I was like, there's got to be a harder way to do this. Like, that's it. I just do that. And then you amazing. So that really started to shift the bar for me because I started to realize, oh, the reason people pay high end rates for coaching is because they see what's possible in their lives, not because they experience me as super smart and brilliant and whatever. Love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Big shift. Love that. Huge shift. And I mean, that's so relatable to any business. Um, yes. Like all the feelings that you've had up to this point in the conversation is so relatable to, I, I don't care what kind of business it is. It's like these universal principles and these things that we mentally have to get over as business owners. Um, yes. The belief in the offer is such a huge thing. I'll, like I never, I'll never forget. I joined this high-end mastermind. That was 50 grand a year. Mm -hmm. Join the mastermind. And what does everybody say when I get in is raise your rates. Like, yes. why are you offering that so low? Like it's, and you're thinking like, I'm helping them. Like you're not helping anybody. If you're, if you're offering something that of high value for so low, they're not going to value it. That's right. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh. And then I saw everybody else was raising rates. And then I started seeing other people come into the mastermind. It's like, same advice. It's like the, there's, there's little, you know, you find the similarities between people and that's one of the things. And, and it's just, and it's all a limiting belief within themselves. Then you see the people that are crushing it, you know, $40 million a year and stuff like that. And it's like the only is they're not doing harder work. Mm -hmm. they, their belief is just different in everything. Even when yes. you talk to them, you know, and, and there's like raising our rates. You can, sometimes I'll see coaches come into this profession and they're, they're unwilling to raise the rates because they're scared they'll get no's. And then there's other coaches I see who'll come in. I did this. I'm unwilling to, th those coaches are like coming out of the gate, charging 50, 60, whatever thousand right. dollars. They're kind of unwilling to like start from the ground up. So there's always a, a balancing act. Totally. Someone can raise their rates, but do it as a way to try to outrun their fear. The beauty of raising our rates is it, it puts whatever belief is holding us back front and center. And then we right. can work on that and, and overcome that. So like if you raise your rates and you start having conversations with people and they start telling you no, cool. Now we have something new to work on, to support you with, to overcome whatever's getting in the way now. Because uh, to your point, Jason, it's not that the product being offered, usually it's not that the product being offered isn't worth it. It's not really connected to worth at all. It's something different. Yeah, yeah. 100%. And it's almost like we, we think like, we need to put more things in our offer and then raise the rate right. instead of the thought exercise of, well, if my rate was double, like what else, what, what would make it worth it? Right. Yes. So like, and making sure that the value is there. And that's the other thing that I learned in that mastermind is everybody is there to serve. No one's there to screw anybody over. So if they're charging, like, you know, let's say I know somebody who charges, uh, I think it's a hundred thousand dollars to build a funnel. Yeah. But like they will dominate for that person. Like and the people end up making, you know, 10 times the value. So it's is it worth it? 100 percent Yes. You know? Yeah. So yeah. But again, I even I talked to them about like how did they get there? Cause I was I always wonder, because we're all to your point, when we're young, we got all this crap. We grow up, you know, people tell us, you know, we grow up in society and we learn the rules of the way to do things. So then yes. we start doing them that way. 
And then we get like brainwashed in school and all that stuff. And then we get out there and we're working at, you know, I, for me, Starbucks and like you, then you're kind of trapped in the limited thinking. And yeah. then you're like, something has to open that, open your mind. Um, so it's like, so when somebody's mind's way like open to all the possibilities and, and have been able to walk through the different doors. So interesting. Like, how did you get there? Like, what were those, what were those shifts? Yeah. That, um, make a big difference. And, and like that brainwashing, we could call it. It's, um, it's not bad, you know, it's not wrong. It's, it's the nature of, of society, you know, of humans were a societal species, but the, the easiest place to see that is, is people being in the conversation, like, well, what will the market accept? So like, what do you, what do you want to charge your rates? Well, what will the market accept? And for any of us making a good, like a lucrative, I guess we could call it living in this kind of work as entrepreneurs, that question is, it's a red herring because then you, you point yourself in that direction. And a much more powerful question is what do I want to charge? What would feel really good for me? And then as soon as we start to ask that question, all of the stuff that's blocking us will come up. Well, I can't charge that because blank. Oh, cool. That's a belief that there is to work through. And the nice thing about what will the market accept is you don't have to confront any of, of you. And that's the thing that's cool about entrepreneurialism, which is ultimately what we're talking about is there's nowhere to hide. There's no corporation to protect me or to hold me. It's sort of like, I'm going to confront my stuff, which is why entrepreneurs thrive so much when they work with coaches, because all of that stuff can be processed and moved yeah. through as opposed to just like, oh no, it's, it's here. And you know, all of that stuff. I love it. So yeah. let's get into the the coaching a little bit. What are some of the things that you find with your clients? Like what are what are the top three limiting beliefs that you you try to break through, um, or that you so, need? To? Yeah. So my people in in the the type of coaching I'm engaged in, like that I do and that I train, it's what we would call transformational coaching, or the other word for it is ontological. So we're working with someone's being as opposed to what they're doing. So, and in this line of work, you're only ever really, I think you said this earlier, working with a version with you, like people with a similar energy. So my people, just like me, we have huge hearts, giant brains, and we're super reliable to, to shut off the heart because it's a liability and run everything up through our head. So we're, we're very brilliant. We tend to like really care about people. And then there's this issue, which is like, I care about people and that's in the way of the impact I want to have on the planet, shut that down. So once people find me, it's usually they're super reliable to create results because if you shut your heart off and be a, an automaton, you're going to create results and you're going to be able to pull out order amidst chaos. And you can make clutch decisions in the midst of like panic and stuff because you're not affected by it. But we also struggle with stuff like intimacy we struggle with stuff like um, presence and spaciousness and just relaxing and enjoying life and the moment. Yeah. And, you know, we struggle with relationships. So to come around to the answer to your question, like some of the big mindset things are, um, well, one thing in particular is my people struggle with, they hear everything through the lens of, is it right or is it wrong? And they structure the way they show up in life so as to ensure that they're right and that they're not wrong. And so I'll give you one example of this and then I'll, I'll turn it back over to you. We all know the wisdom, quote unquote, the wisdom of saying, I don't know. That's like plastered across LinkedIn. Leadership advice, say you don't know. What my people do is they, they either know the answer and then they act 
great, way to go, we're moving forward. But once they, they don't know the answer, they freeze and they say, I don't know. And then they work until they do know. They try to figure out the answer, they seek out experts. And the path of leadership is actually being willing to forge into the unknown. So what they have to be willing to learn to do is to take a swing and look like a moron. Take a yeah. swing and get it wrong. They make it up that it means they look like a moron. But that way, that's how we learn, right? Imagine trying to ride a bike by figuring out the right way to ride a bike. It's just going to mess you up. Or you sit until you do know the right way. You're never going to pick up the bike and you're never going to learn how to balance because balance is something we learn by doing. I so that. that's one thing. Yeah. Yeah. And. I think one of the most valuable skills that I learned is just sales in general. So it's like watching a sales team and, and figuring out like, Hey, it takes nine no's to get a yes. Like that's mm -hmm. just straight up. So that means when I was coaching my sales team and we, at one point were pretty large, but, um, it was really not how you, how you deal with people that say yes, it's not dealing with the wins it's dealing with the losses and not having any of those affect you uh -huh. because each call should be perfect like you should just bring your energy bring your attitude good attitude and those that had a bad attitude had bad results and it was so simple and it, but it was like you just have to keep yourself like unaffected by the i guess negativity well i guess you can frame it as anything you want right right if you yeah, frame yeah. It as negativity it's negative i got or a flip side to that yeah. The, the flip side is in, in coaching, certainly, and probably other professions too. There's a lot of people getting a yes, and then the client vanishing, ghosting. Oh, actually, no, when it's time. Oh, when you send the invoice, they're no. And what's yeah. happening there is the coach is so scared that they're going to get a no. And when they get the yes, they're like, excellent. Thank you so much. See you later. Click. Yeah. And what's really powerful in the work of coaching is to one of my mentors called it like being like a martial artist. We accept the no, we receive the no with grace and we challenge the yes, we step forward into it. And what we want to do with that yes is like, okay, are you sure? What fears do you have coming up? Because often what we as humans do is when we're afraid, one of the things we do is we go to just no, I'm going to stay where I am. But the other thing that we do is called in some schools of thought, they call it being uh, counterphobic, which is like running off the diving board, closing your eyes so you don't feel the fear. If I just do it, then I won't feel the fear and I won't be stopped by it. Hope there's water in that swimming pool you've jumped into. And so there's a time I think when like you're hundred percent right, like be with all those no's, but there's also like an art and a skill in sales since that's what we're talking about to really like taking that yes. and being like, now let's, let's really sober up. Is this really what you want? Do you have fears coming up? Do you have objections that we need to talk about before we actually get there? And when we do that with people, the experience they're left with is like, holy crap, this person is serving the heck out of me. They're not even yeah. attached to me choosing. I mean, imagine if car salesmen did that for us. <laughs> yeah, 100%. It, it, it goes back to that peeling the onion, getting under the layer. That's like yes. the root of your entire origin story. Yes. Is getting to that. And it's so crazy to me that so many people have so many layers that they're not willing to, to expose. Mm -hmm. I love, dude, I did a podcast yesterday because my wife and I got in a big fight <laughs> and, um, I, you know, just talking about it and it helped to talk about it, but yeah. like, it's like you, I mean, you need to, to be real with people. It's the only way to connect.
Like even yes. your story about, uh, you know, doing drugs and stuff like, uh, you know, I drank and did drugs and partied in my twenties. And I mean, last week, the, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm 100% sober, have been for eight years. And, but uh, like congrats. my transformation through that, there was a rock bottom part. I mean, yes. I almost died at one point and, um, just like usually in those experiences is where breakthroughs happen. Yes. And I actually think that those things that we're so afraid to expose are usually the things that make the biggest impact in our life. And it can make the biggest impact in somebody else's life. And if we share how we went through something that somebody else is going through as they're going through it, and it's like, give them the hope that they can, you know, get out of it or whatever, just even feel like they're not alone. It's yeah. huge. Yes. I, I, one of the mantras I have for leaders is that to be a leader, we need to be a work in progress and progressing in our work. And so the work in progress part is what most people do in leadership. They're like, okay, got it. Be vulnerable. And then they tell a story about how they were vulnerable four years ago. That's not being vulnerable. That's telling a story about a time when you were vulnerable. We have to be willing to share the parts of us that are unfinished, the parts that are in progress with people share that because that's where people are like, Oh my God, that's how I feel. And they feel that way right now. We can, we can feel that. And then progressing in our work is the part where we need to be not just sharing the same story. Like we actually have to be moving through our work, getting supported, engaging with other people that are developing our leadership because otherwise we become what we're modeling for people is something other than what we're asking of them. We're like, let me develop your leadership, but I'm good. I've got it solved. And that'll never work. People feel that and it, it turns them yeah. off. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, I have a personal question. Hit me. You as a, you as a coach. So one of the, one of the craziest things that's happened to me in the last couple of years is I joined that mastermind I was telling you about. And yep. I thought I was going in to learn more about, uh, marketing and stuff. And then there was a coach in there that, um, she got me into like disc profiling and, and I started really doing some personal work. And really what I ended up doing was shedding part of the business uh -huh. like that I learned and then developing a better relationship with my family and like my kids. Like, and at that point, man, I had a really horrible relationship with my oldest son. Mm. We never connected from birth because I was just working nonstop. I went to school working nonstop. Then I bought an insurance agency and then we grew that. And then we started this other business and I'm just spinning, 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 feeling like I have to, I have to build, I have to build. I'm doing it yeah. for my family. And then I'll, you know, I'm sure you then I'll be the good father, so to speak. Yeah. And then you're yeah. just like doing all this stuff. And then it's like, the, like your family's almost kind of taking a back seat. And during that, those pivotal times, like was when he was born and just yeah. never really connected. And then, so over the last couple of years, like really starting to connect with him and just, it's, been transformational, but less revenue for the mm. company. And that's why I got into it. So I'm sure that I'm not the only one that you've talked to that not only has gone through that, but that needs to go through that. How many people need to go through that? And this, mm. well, I, I would take away need because as soon as we right. create a need, then it, then we can't be in our own process. You know what I mean? I know, I know you're, I, I'm saying this as much for like other people listening. I think it's super important. We're like, I need to X sort of like how, you know, someone that is like working through drug use or whatever, we can't force them into bottom and we can't force them to declare they have to get there themselves because it's their process. So anyhow, 
But to your question, what I find is there's usually we have parts of our life on a scale, like an old law scale kind of. And so on the one side, we're like, I can, I can, like in law, this is super common. I can have the success and repute that I really want and the money or the family and the work life balance. And then what people are doing is like moving their hands up and down, trying to find like the perfect balance. Sometimes people go work at like the, the government, you know, with public service. And then, oh, that's sort of like the scales at half and half. I've got 50% of what I want in terms of money and 50% of the family life. It's pretty good. But they're still giving up on like 50% on either side. And so what typically happens for people, like they read something like the four hour work week and they go from I'm working all this time to like then the other side. It's like they swing the pendulum all the way to the other side. And they're like, now I have all this time, but I'm kind of twiddling my thumbs and I'm a little antsy and I'm a little bit like, ah, I want to make more money. And I like doing that. And the breakthrough is usually where they transcend the one or the other, the, the at odds with them. Mm. And I would say, so what I think happens in the world and in most coaching is that people are supported to move the pendulum to one side. And then they're like, everything's kind of better, but then there's this other part of themselves that's not being expressed. Like for you, one of the things I really get about you is you're just like, like a font of creation. Like you bring the essential nature of creation. You're rely. I could put you anywhere and you're going to just start making stuff happen. You know, you go homeless shelter, that homeless shelter is going to be sick by the time, like two weeks of you being in it. <laughs> but then for everyone, they, they shift over to the other side and they leave that part of them. They're like, well, at least I'm not working crazy hours and I get more of this. But then they are like, ah, the revenue's not here or the whatever. And I think in order to transcend to the, to the breakthrough where we can have it all, where we can work less hours and in working less hours, make more money, we have to go through the part you're describing, the sort of the, 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 what we might call the breakdown. I don't know. Am I answering your question? I feel a little clumsy in my response. Yeah, no, it's, it, it it's true. It, it, having it all is a thing Aha. Um, and it might be. Yeah. And I love what you said at the beginning of that, because you're right, like on your journey, what you need is unique to you yes. and where you are on the, on the path. And I a hundred percent believe that. And yeah, that's why it's, crazy when people push their own agendas on other people like oh you got to yeah. do this it's like yeah. maybe maybe not <laughs> or even on themselves that's the other one yeah. that, that is really interesting where like yeah. i should i don't know lose weight instead of yeah kind of it's hard to trust ourselves because we're like but if i trust myself and if i lay off hammering my own head then i'm gonna eat all the chocolate in the world and then switch you know and and so it's scary to trust it's really edgy to trust ourselves and to trust that our process is unfolding towards something yeah, it it really is. Like yeah. like when I joined that mastermind, I felt I needed all these marketing things and, and yeah. build and build and build and I needed this and it was actually like I didn't need that and then I learned like actually and I use this analogy it's like my room was messy. I had uh -huh. three businesses that I'm trying to manage and trying to build and my family and it was like just a bunch of crap. And when I was little, if my room was messy, I'm not cleaning it. I'm going, I'm going to take a nap. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? So totally. I, I, still, I still have that like mentality. So I was like, dude, like, and, but I get so much enjoyment from building. Yes. But I can't build because of all the crap. So I actually needed to tear down and I'm, 
I am not a hoarder, but like, I, it's hard for me to release stuff, even with like stuff at home. Like my wife will be like, you got to get rid of some of this stuff. And I'm like, oh yeah, but that reminds me of that time. And, yeah. You know, and it's like, oh, like the, so the like shedding of it, but when you shed it, man, that feels good. Yes. Relieving. I, one of the um, things I love about, if I may interject, yeah, like yeah, yeah. what you were sharing there is that like going to that mastermind and being like, I need, you know, the marketing or the whatever, but like, I would bet a lot of money. You're super reliable down that area. Anyhow, like that just occurs like part of what you naturally are like wise about and able to do. And I think that's so beautiful because that's what most of us as humans are doing is we're like, I need more of this. And it's like, mm -hmm. that's not really the thing. It's more like, Oh, I'm trying to do that on top of a messy room. And there's just never going to be enough producing on top of, to your point, your messy room, right? Once you clear the room, yeah. it's like, Oh, I need to do this one thing. Great. I'm going to do that one thing. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Another like side note to that is the, being okay, I've actually had this conversation with multiple people recently, is just like, it's okay to want something. Totally. You, you, you know what I mean? Like, hey, but like people usually put their own things on you if you want something. Like, oh, I yes. want to make more. Oh, you just, you just want money and like whatever. You're shallow. Like, yeah, you're shallow. Yeah. Like no matter what. But like, dude, if you want to do something, do it. Like, like. I mean, obviously it has to follow your core values and everything else, your v vision or what you want truly as a person, making sure that it aligns with that. But yes, um, it's okay to want. And we're trained out of that desire we're, for yes. all the reasons you said, right? Like, don't be attracted to a beautiful woman or man because that means you're shallow and only care about looks. Don't want right. money because that means you're greedy. Don't. And then so where we end up in our lives is schizophrenic and and i'm, I'm yeah. using that term colloquially and like wondering why life feels so empty and it's because we're we're guiding our lives towards what we think we should do instead of letting ourselves be guided and that's all from the head instead of like yeah. but what do i actually want and it's okay to want to make a bunch of money I, I love money it lets me buy cool clothes which i like it lets me do good in the world it lets me be comfortable all of that is fine it's okay and there's such like an act of love towards ourself to let ourselves have the desires that are there. Yep. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. It's so crazy how we're like taught to not, it's not okay to want yeah. stuff for you. Yeah. It's like, ah, that's how you create prisons for yourself. So often, like the people I work with, one of the qualities they and I bring into the space, you have this too, is like is what I'd call presence, presence or in women, more radiance and People with presence, we're a presence in the room. We take up space. People notice us. And people with presence tend to be good looking, but I don't necessarily mean attractive. I mean, we're interesting to look at. So we might know how to dress in ways that draw the eye. Adam Driver, who played Kylo Ren, is a good example where you're like, not a classically handsome dude, can't look away from him. He's so interesting. And so, yeah. but of course, we're trained that that's vain, arrogant. We're trained out of that. And then we get into this awkward place in life where we're like, man, I want to have some attention on me, but that's wrong. And then what happens is that desire comes out sideways. So we end up like what I, and when I'm afraid I can still do this, I end up like standing just off to the side of the spotlight and then sticking my head in and doing something awesome and then leaving, which is mm -hmm. super obnoxious. It's like, yeah. just take up the space, Adam. We all see you there, but I can't 
as I'm working through that, because it's like my fear has got a hold of me. It's like, it's wrong for you to want this. And if we can just own it, then we can be responsible for it and get it met and get that need met in a responsible way. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny that you all, you keep bringing up the fact that you're um, scared and stuff. And then on the other side of you, you're very um, outspoken and confident. So yeah, yeah, like, like living in the role that you, I, <laughs> With one of my coaches, I call it for me, it's little Jason, it's uh-huh. all the insecurities and big Jason, the one where I'm like in flow and like, dude, you could do this. Like, and yes. I'm excited and like, ain't nothing going to stop us. But then little Jason comes in and goes, nope, uh-huh. you're never going to do it. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Are you sure that's okay? Are you? Mm. Yeah. And we, I like the fact that we kind of pendulum like on the one. So there's growing up part of what the feedback I got from a loving mom that a loving mother who had the same quality was you're being too much because that's what she was right. trained in with her radiance, beautiful woman. And so there was a part of me that was like, I'm too much. I'm too much. I'm too much. So there's like one part of little Adam who is constantly trying to dim my light. So I take up less space. Mm-hmm. And then there's a reaction, another version of little Adam. That's a reaction to that, which is like, screw this. I'm tired of not taking up space. And that guy is obnoxious. He's taking up all the space. And both of those, it's interesting because we set, that's usually the change we settle for. And what most people are coached to is like flipping back and forth between those two poles. And neither of those is my true self. My true self is a guy that like does take up some space, but can do so with grace and that can do so where he shares it and like enjoys being in the space with other, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. I struggle with that. Same. Uh, for sure. Yeah, like, it's a it's, journey. It is a journey. And it's, it, you know, it's like, God, if everybody could just be their like awesome self and not, you know what it is? It's all the judgment. It's all yes. the judgment internally for, from us, but it's all the voices that we've heard in the past that are yes. like, yeah, be quiet. Don't do that. Like, you can't do it that way. And it's like, ooh, and they, all those voices come in. But like, man. We've all internalized them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's like even somebody that's like, I was just talking about, um, there's a dude over here that washes our cars. Oh, cool. He's just every freaking time. He's awesome. He's the best, like your car. He's never done a bad job. Uh He's always so nice. And he's always 100% optimized for himself. Yeah. And it's like, dude, when somebody's good at what they do, it's magnetizing. Yes, totally. So it's like, Oh, it's just so sad that we all live in that place where it's like that gets, I love that you said dimmed because that's what it is. The light gets dimmed. It's yeah. Just, it's sad. And there's, there's, there's an absolute magnetism when people are what I would call fully expressed, which is to say like, we're, we know who we are and we're able to show up as that person more or less. I mean, it's always, there's always going to be new edges, new layers to shed. But when people this is the thing most coaching doesn't provide is that coaches learn about coaching, but they don't go through their own transformation. Mm-hmm. And when they do and put their focus there, instead of like, if I just had more leads, when they do that, they become magnetic and people start to want to like, Hey, I want to be in a relationship with this person. Cause there's something just so distinct about their energy. It's like, damn, just being around this person kind of creates a bit of transformation. That's cool. That's, yep. that's the juice right there. And it's funny too, because they probably think like, if I'm working on myself, that's selfish. Uh-huh. Like everybody thinks that They're like the, the working, like, it's like the analogy of the, you know, if you're with your family and you got kids and stuff and the, and you're 
flying and the things come down yes. to put the, you put the oxygen on your face because yeah. your kids will die if, you know, if you're not alive. Yeah. And it's like that self-care part, Mike, if everybody cared about themselves. Yes. That the, so, so many times, especially with, um, just, you know, in work and stuff like that, you just, it's funny, like the things that people tell themselves, I'm not good at this. Would you say that to somebody else? No. Why do you say it to yourself? Like mm -hmm. if you're saying stuff internally to yourself, that's not uplifting that you would not say out loud to about another person, but you're saying it to yourself, it's kind of abuse, you know? Yeah. It, I do a lot of work with, um, plant medicine with ayahuasca and I support people in that process. Uh, my dog's going to bark. I'm going to let him out. I support people in that process. And the hardest part about that process is for people to, again, trust their process, trust they're doing the work. And so people show up and they're like, I'm ready to get hit in the face. Hit me, mother ayahuasca, come at me. And what she does is she brings them like a really gentle experience. And they're like, oh, it's not working. I'm not doing the work. And, and what's so profound, I think, about that is that what's happening is that they have created a life where they're comfortable being punched in the face by life. And when they get gentleness, that's really hard for them to be with. They can't trust it. And so it's just such an interesting like metaphor for how we show up as humans where we're like, come at me, bro. And then like life is like nice and gentle. And we're like, no, for real, come at me. And it's like, I am, I'm come. This is your work right here. Like, can you just let this be nice? Can you trust yeah. that life can be gentle and easy and gracious sometimes? Yeah. Yeah. It's a hundred percent true. It can be so... It's like the times that we're living in are so incredible. Like, mm -hmm. you know, 200 years ago, if you would describe the poorest person, let, well, let's say in the US, yeah. you know, we're, we're blessed to live here, but like yes. cell phone, like any, inf any information on the planet is going to be in your pocket. Yeah. Like you have that information. People would have, kings would have killed for yes. that, you know? And now we just, oh, everything sucks, this government stuff and like all the garbage that's all over the internets and stuff. And it's like, dude, how can anybody complain about now? It's like so beautiful that we can do anything that we want, that I can talk to you. You can talk to me. We're in different, uh, you know, we're different places. And like, yeah. I don't know, it's just, there's too much good, but it's our, it's our brains, you know, it's like all the BS that's in there. Yes. Yeah. The gift too, right? Cause that's part of the, the beauty of the human spirit is always striving for what's next. Yeah. And, and of course the curse that comes along with that is that it's, we ha it takes a lot of practice to be at peace and there's kind of the, the duality of, can I be totally at peace with where I am? And then at the same time, not complacent also with right. my eye towards the next thing I want to create. And that's, that's a, that's a edge. I'm always learning to walk a little bit more where I'm like, can I be totally down with what I've created, which is amazing and continue to push towards the next thing. Yeah, I struggle with that too. And I think, I don't think, well, just having emotions in general, the fact that we have emotions, there's no way it's ever going to be a set it and forget it thing. It's uh -huh. like, it's always, you're always managing it. So yes, I love, I love the whole coaching realm. I think it's a beautiful thing. People helping people is just, I mean, that's what we're on this planet for. So totally super cool. Talk yeah. about, uh, talk about your business and how people can get a hold of you. Sure. So um, I've described a little bit about my people. So if you're one of those people, reach out and, and connect with me. The easiest way to do that is 
my website is adamquiney.com. Um, and I, I put a lot of my um, insights there. I have a podcast uh, called The Transformational Leader. And what I do on that podcast is short episodes where I take some obvious leadership wisdom that almost certainly is getting posted a lot on LinkedIn, where it's like, um, good leaders do this. And then we look at that so you can see leadership is never about following a one rule because as soon as there's a rule to what a good leader does, it takes away some of the possibility. Like now I can't do that thing I shouldn't do in the times when actually that's the best thing to do. So leadership is about having the most range available to you. So anyhow, that's a cool podcast where I break this stuff down, dissect this. And then um, the last place to connect with me is probably on Facebook because I post a lot of my art there. I'm, I'm pretty active. So uh, just connect with me on adamquiney.com. And I'm super cool and I've got an awesome dog. So there's that too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. I, I definitely want to check out the podcast and everything. Man, uh -huh. my Facebook account, I... Some hackers got in and stole our business account and no. like kicked me out. So I'm starting from scratch with, with Facebooks again. It's so tedious. It's Instagram yeah. just decided when they bought, when they were bought by Facebook, they were like, this guy is, I don't know, a robot or something. <laughs> and then the, the support's just non-existent. You know, you, right. there's nothing you can there's do. No You're like, yeah, all right. A lightning bolt from God hit me in the head. That's what that was. Yeah. And so I guess I'm starting, it's, it's tedious, but oh, well. It is. It yeah. is what it is. Yeah. We're blessed to have any kind of social media where we can get in front of a